Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Thursday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler and I'm flying solo on this introduction. Unfortunately, with the TV show coming back, Telfer and Sean don't quite have the time as we normally do to, to go through the kind of lower league shows and, and to bring their real expertise because that expertise does come with a lot of time commitments through Sean especially, reading so much, making pages and pages and pages of Air Four notes so that him and him and Telfer can can do the best possible show. So those guys are absent this week. I think they'll be absent for a few more over the over the run of the the show coming back to BBC Scotland half ten on Fridays. For those of you who haven't watched yet, which I can't imagine would be too many of you if you're listening to this podcast. So instead, I'm trying something out on this show, I have brought in a guest for three different sections. Um, and that is basically somebody to talk about a team from the Championship, somebody to talk about a team from League One and then League Two. And I've also done a Patreon with another supporter as well. So it's basically three separate interviews, kind of really digging in to what's happening at uh, three different clubs in the SPFL lower leagues. So hopefully you enjoy. And I'll be back to talk to you again at the end of the episode. Tuck in. Okay, first of all, I'm joined by Alistair Gemmell to help me talk through Air United's interesting season so far. Alistair, hello. Hi, Craig. Good to speak to you. Yeah, good to have you on. Good to have you on. Right, it's been a, it's been a few things happening uh, down at Somerset so far this campaign uh, with the original manager, uh, David Hopkins, quickly quickly leaving the club, uh, being replaced on interim basis by Jim Duffy, who then took uh, complete control of the club. Let's start with Jim Duffy being appointed on a permanent basis. What is What was your feeling? Were you happy with the appointment? And are you at all worried uh, now that he has been appointed and, appointed and you've been gubbed 4-0 by Partick Thistle? <laughs> yeah, certainly wasn't uh, the perfect sort for, for Jim Duffy on, on Saturday. I think we could maybe... I think part that down to... We did have a few injuries out, especially in attacking attacking areas, which I think 
was always going to make it difficult for us to to get anything out of that game. But in terms of Duffy being appointed until um, um, initially till the end of the season, um, as it said, I, I think you just need to look and see who was a better option than than Jim Duffy. Um, I, I get the point in terms of. Um, as the uh, the chairman mentioned, when 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 Duffy was appointed, there's, there's an element of continuity which I, I do think is is important, and I think it's just really the, the lack of other options probably means that Jim Duffy was the was the was the right guy. Um, I don't think there were probably too many different too many other options, and and he was probably the safe bet. Although, you know, we kind of we kind of hoped that. David Hopkin would be the the safe bet back in 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 March, um, and that obviously didn't turn out to be the case. So I, I think most people are kind of generally happy with with, with Duffy's appointment um, on the basis of kind of what he did is in in spell is it interim spell in charge and and also maybe the the lack of alternative options. Although I think there is a bit of concern over whether it's a, a short term appointment and where do we go next season, but. Uh, for now, I think uh, notwithstanding Saturday's result, most people will be happy enough with Jim. So, what were the alterations that Duffy made to the side in order to turn them from, in order to turn the form around? I guess what I'm asking. Uh, it was it was quite stark, to be honest. Um, even from 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 one game to the next. So the the, the game which saw um, David Hopkin ultimately leave the club. Um, believe it or not, we started with seven defenders in the team, and that was at home to to Wraith, and um, that that makes it very difficult for for you to to go ahead and, and win a game. And and Duffy in in the next match, albeit it was uh, at home to Dunfermline, um, I think he made seven changes in total and and brought in a lot more uh, attacking players. Um, thankfully, in terms of uh, creating a, a spectacle, so particularly um, Daryl O'Connor is a, a, a player that a lot of fans have been desperate to see. Sort of, kind of. Uh, I know this is a terrible monkey for him to carry on his neck, neck back of his on his shoulders, but the Irish Messi, as he as he came and signed for us, known as, but he hadn't he hadn't got a hadn't got a look in at all really under under Hopkin, a brief um, substitute appearance against Kilmarnock, I think, in which he, he you know he looked pretty promising, and then I think he got hooked at half time in our next game against Arbroath, but, but he he was the sort of player that we were 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 crying out for, you know, someone who could excite the fans, who could. To get us up the pitch, who um, could create, could could beat a man. So so he came in along along with um, Stephen Bradley, the youngster we had on Rona Hibbs. He started as well against Dunfermline, and ultimately it was a just a, a lot more attacking lineup and um, a lot less long balls, which kind of was a the key feature of David Hopkins' spell in charge. So he really did kind of change things up quite dramatically, and that sort of coincided with you know. Um, a couple of good results. So how how bad was it under Hopkin? It was absolutely brutal, Craig. Um, you know, uh, he, he, he obviously Hopkin came in, and um, I, I like to try and ignore what opposition fans say because you know I don't know if they're always being um, being fair. They've obviously got their own prejudices. And um, you want to give the guy, you want to give the guy a chance. But you know everything that Morton fans said, unfortunately, kind of came true in the end. You know the style of football was just atrocious. His his squad building wasn't great. Um, we've got quite an imbalanced squad, which I don't think is is going to 
help Jim Duffy going forward. Which was and, also quite typical of his Morton team. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, with, with <laughs> like, I know he only had one goalkeeper, like only one. They, they had a proliferation of kind of those kind of players that kind of play in between midfield and uh, up front, kind of I wingers know, and it? wide forwards and stuff like that. That's so, why Robbie Muirhead was lining up at left back. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Uh, and just, uh, and even with the style of football, I, I don't mind a team that plays long ball if it's effective, but you just need to look at the results. Hopkins won one game in 13 in the league. So it was never going to be, it was never going to be good enough, even without all the other factors around his, his style of his style of play. And I just never really th- think he was able to build a rapport with the fans. It just come down to his attitude. I think, I mean, if you look, if you look at our, or start to the season. I mean, we played Kamarnock, Cobroth, Inverness, and Wraith. I think they're the top four teams in the league. So it wasn't an easy start to the season. And you know, the results weren't that bad, really, if you take them on, on face value, each of their own. You know, we, we came back from 2 0 down to draw 2 2 with our Broth. It was only a narrow defeat up in Inverness. And then, but that just that Wraith game was the final straw, I think, in terms of it was such a bad performance. We never looked like we were going to get anything out of it. And it was kind of almost archetypal of of all the issues that surround David Hopkins and, and and that led to him that led to him leaving. Not sure if you're aware, but I think a couple of weeks ago in the show, Sean and Telfer said that they kind of fancied this to be Hopkins' last job in the kind of SPFL, or at least the last as a manager, basically. At the very least the last one for a while, or at least, you know, full-time level, because he did have that success at Livingston. But there's now kind of the more kind of Livingston's, the more Livingston have kind of risen through the, well, I mean, he got them to the Premiership, but the, the kind of, since they've been in the Premiership and kind of there's been more focus on them and you kind of learnt more about how much kind of influence David Martindale had on things. So now that Hopkins has, has failed in his three successive jobs since then, including the one that he, he took down in England, can you really see him pitching up anywhere else anytime soon? Uh, definitely not, no. Um, I mean that, that, that's the three jobs in Slivington that he's resigned from as well. When when the goings got tough, um, he wasn't he wasn't sacked at air, although it, you know it may well have been heading in that direction. He resigned and obviously he resigned from from Morton as well, and that was kind of painted as an altruistic move at the time. Uh, and he, he resigned from Bradford when start things going against him. You know, I'm actually in some respects surprised that he that he took over at air. I'm not quite sure what his motives for doing that. Obviously, he felt like he still had something to offer and wanted to get back into the game. But I, I would imagine his experiences um, in the last sort of six months, however it's been since since March when he came in, um, and just his track record would mean I, I can't see him ever kind of being involved as a manager. Um, again, by all accounts, he's, he's quite a wealthy man and doesn't really need the money either. So, yeah, I'd be very surprised if we saw him again in a managerial role. It's never good as well when you look at somebody's like man, the teams managed on Wikipedia, and it, it's there's no there's no hyphen, there's no it's just one year. So it's like yeah. well, it's in 2015, 2018, Bradford, 2018, 2019, 2019, 20, yeah, just 2021. That's it. I, I think his I think his Wikipedia will show that he, I think it's maybe a 25 percent win rate as well, maybe. But I think one of those games includes. The three 0 walkover we got against Falkirk uh, for when they had COVID uh, in Edinburgh City and Dundee. So I think he only won four games in total. So 
the 25% might look all right, but when you consider the number of the games and one of them was a walkover, it's not, not too brilliant. Yeah, 25 still better than these Bradford days where he was only 20%. <laughs> Oh dear, dearie, dearie, dear. Right, uh, let's uh, take a look at some of your players this season. Uh, t- talk to me about Tommy Adeloy. Yeah, he's a he's already fastly becoming a, a cult hero. And I think a lot of that just to do is the fact that uh, he knows how to use social media. Um, bizarrely, I, I, you, people might not know this, but... In I suppose under in the McCall era and it, and it, and it um, carried on when Mark Kerr was manager that the the players were actually fined internally if they posted anything on social media with them in a kit or something like that it wasn't actually kind of allowed bizarrely um, but that that's kind of that's gone gone by the wayside since then Hopkins came in and, and and Tommy's come in and and he, he did, and you know people kind of sit and wait for his Instagram and Twitter posts on a Saturday night once he's scored and done well so he's really good at interacting fans but you know his performances in the park have been a kind of breath of fresh air he's, you know I think people recognise he's got a tough gig up there on his own especially playing kind of in the David Hopkins team but just um, and and his role. Um, but just the kind of the, the, his attitude, I think, is really impressive. And you know, he, he's good at holding the ball up and and playing in. And the, I suppose the goals speak for themselves. And most of them seem to come in front of the Somerset Road end uh, at, at home as well, which helps kind of um, make you a, a kind of popular player. I mean, I like I like his attitude. He, he kind of, I think, he realised they having bobbed around a lot of clubs down south that you know. He, he was maybe a, a small fish in a, a big pond. I think he recognised that if he if he came up to Scotland and, and did well in in the championship, then you know people would sit up and, and take notice, and you know that would, could really benefit his career. So I kind of like the fact that he, he's taken a punt and decided to come up and and test himself. And um, yeah, his goal records, he's done well, speaks for himself. And you know he's a really really popular player. So um, uh, something that we've been crying out for 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 a while, really. Probably since since Shankland left, I'm, I'm not seeing anywhere he's anywhere near the level of Shankland. But you know we haven't had a haven't had a striker really um, that's contributed much at all since Shankland left. So um, yeah, really really positive signing, and you know we, we'll give that one to Hock, and it's a it's been a really good signing. Uh, he's such a whiz on social media. Really needs to get himself a Wikipedia page. Yeah, and and uh, there's questionable use of capital letters at the start of every word as well. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, certainly not a cult hero for me there. That's it. That's <laughs> Can't be having that. <laughs> how's uh, how's old Terrace's favourite Michael Moffat been getting on? I see that he's kind of been. I, I take it he was injured to start the campaign. Yeah, he's had he's had uh, injury and, and COVID issues, and I think on Saturday there was his first start. I think it's I think it's like any player like. You become a better player when you're not playing, especially if the team's not doing well, and you know people are kind of crying out for him to start. Maybe it's unfair to to assess him just based on his his, his run out on on Saturday there, but I think we're kind of seeing the the gradual decline of Michael Moffat, unfortunately, which you know is you know almost heartbreaking for a lot of Air fans, but um, but it's, 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 it's inevitable at some point. Yeah, and especially when the sort of I think people maybe don't recognise the sort of player. I mean, he, he was a player who who in his first spell it was all predicated on his pace and his ability running behind, and clearly he doesn't have that pace anymore at, at his age. And 
you know, he's tried to adapt his game. You know, he's he's quite comfortable on the ball, and you know, he's pe- people say, oh, he could play midfield, or he could play number ten. You know, that's what we need. But I, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really see he's going to be a major part going forward in in the first team. It's probably more appearances off the bench, uh, unfortunately. So has Duffy brought about a new manager bounce, and things are still going to be a bit hairy for a lot of the season, or do you fancy air? if not to kind of motor up the table, then at least be kind of in a relatively comfortable place for a lot of it. It's hard to be comfortable in the championship at any point, but do you think the the warning signs are going to go off again? I think, yeah, I think a a lot comes just down to the the fixtures they had were were fairly favourable in in some respects, Dunfermline, then then Hamilton um, and Morton as well. I think we had a run against the, the easier teams. I think if you look at the championship, I think the top four, top five are probably going to be the top five at the end of the season. I, I don't see any chance for for her to break through into that top five. So, and the, then the bottom five, I think is is going to be dog eat dog. It's going to be really close. And at the best, I think we we can hope for is when you when you look at the squad, it, is that we're we're comfortable at the top of that bottom five as, as such and, and clear from relegation going in going into April. But um, I wouldn't be confident of that that's going to be the case. I think the biggest problem is if you just look at the squad, how how unbalanced it is. You know, we've got we've got lots of fullbacks and lots of defenders, which kind of match with Hopkins' preferred formation of of kind of five at the back. But we've really only got two midfielders with with the with the name in the squad. One of those is Joe Chalmers, who really hasn't impressed during his time with the club, and I think he played a lot of his football at left back. So we're placing a lot on Andy Murdoch's shoulder to be a kind of one midfielder, and I just don't see how he can be successful with that at all. Aaron Muirhead's been playing in there in in centre midfield, and you know, in some in some games he's done well, but he's not a central midfielder either. So yeah, I think that's what's really going to lead us to have probably quite a difficult second half of the season it's, uh, it's very damning when you're saying that you've only got two midfielders worth, worth themselves and one of them isn't very good <laughs> exactly yeah crying out for uh, at least one or two more um, central midfielders but um, for whatever reason they haven't haven't been added so the team earlier uh, sorry last month I was going to say hit the headlines for an administrative error and you allowing Rangers B to advance to the next round. How much of a ready was that for your fans? I mean, I suppose if, if you cared enough about the competition, SPFL Trust Trophy, isn't it, it's called, you would be embarrassed. But I don't know if embarrassed, I mean, clearly it's, it's not great. And I think it kind of it hints at kind of the wider problems with the how people think about how the club especially coming out of the Hopkins era and but I suppose thankfully Duffy's got some results and that's changed things around a bit. If you know if, if Hopkins had still been in the manager then you know it probably would have gone nuclear. I, I, I think it's pretty I mean the rules are the rules, but I I thought it was pretty unfair to be honest that you know we were what happened is we had two lads out on loan in the in the juniors and then called them back up to to be part of the match day squad and, and brought them on, uh, and and as it transpired, they were ineligible to play in the competition. But you know the B teams 
can have players out on loan and recall them and play them in their SPFL trust, trust trophy. So ultimately, we've been we've been punished for giving uh, first team exposure to to some young lads who are out on loan um, in a competition where B teams, you know, the whole reason for being in there is to allow that to happen. So I think for that reason, while it was unfortunate, I don't don't necessarily it was embarrassing. Um, it was just a bit kind of annoying, but the rules are the rules. It's mainly embarrassing because it's Rangers B you've allowed to go through. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was always going to be a. You, you went into that game with a sense of trepidation in terms of let's not be the ones that get beat. You can barely, barely even celebrate a victory over them, can you? Yeah, you can't. It's like, well, thank God we didn't get embarrassed there, but then that was to come later on. So. Then if you win, if they win the trophy now, it's it's, it's all on you guys. <laughs> Well, I think they should they should give it to us since they since we beat them. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, that's something to definitely crow about. <laughs> <laughs> the moral victors of the SPFL Trust Trophy. Right, Alistair, thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. Cheers. And now I'm joined by Colin Cunningham to talk about all things Falkirk. Hello, Colin. Hi, Greg. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. How's yourself? Bit, are you feeling a bit more optimistic after the weekend's result? I know it was only East Fife, but is there is there a chance that this is a quote unquote corner turned uh, for Paul Sheeran's Bairns? So I, I didn't I didn't go along to the match on Saturday. I've, I've I've been finding after after lockdown after the kind of initial buzz of oh this is great to get back to the football, uh, Falkirk have gone back to sucking the life out of me. So. Uh, I wasn't there on Saturday. Um, having heard, you know, having done the usual Twitter pie and bovril, I've seen a, not just kind of isolated incidents, but a number of people suggesting this was our the first half was our worst forty five in years. Which, <laughs> if you think about some of the the performances that would be in that sample, is, is pretty damning. Um, I, it was. I think with Sheeran, there was a, a good start in terms of how we were playing. He obviously has a philosophy that he likes, and it was working early in the season. We were you know, playing some nice stuff, moving the ball quickly, but the pace just seems to have dropped out the team recently. Um, and it's just a stubbornness to persist with the same sort of formation, the same players who aren't quite doing it. Uh, the last two weeks in a row, we've been 2-0 down to Montrose, salvaged a draw, 1-0 down East Fife and won the game 2-1. And both times, the goals have come when he's put a second striker on, gone two up top with Michael Ruth and Aidan Keener. And those two have both each scored in those games. So I know that's quite a small sample, but it suggests that, you know, is it as easy as just playing the two strikers in this league? So, um, who... so... Sorry, Sorry continue. I was just going to say... Um, Obviously, I, I'm I'm not one of these people that always thinks you know playing two strikers means you're more attacking, but you know is it as easy as that? And it's one of these where I think fans are a bit sceptical in terms of just his reaction at, or Sheeran's reaction after the game suggests that you know is he going to use this international break and hope that people forget and then go back to the one up top again? That that seems to be a, a big worry amongst the fan base at the moment is that. You're just going to revert to doing what wasn't working. So you've said that 
the so, uh, you said the kind of system and players that he's kind of stubbornly sticking to. So I would assume the system is a four-five-one. Uh, would that be correct to say? Yes, somewhere between a sort of four-five-one, four-three-three, that type of thing. I think the, the issues the issues for me have been there's been matches where Aidan Nisbet is, I suppose, after Callum Morrison, he is our best player, and is be- he's best playing as a number ten behind the striker. That he's been punted out wide a few times, and that probably speaks to not just Sheeran's choices as a manager, but probably the lack of depth in the squad as well. He's having to be used as a winger. Um, I think I think Sheeran has a blind spot for a few players as well, particularly Stephen Hetherington. He's somebody who came with a decent reputation. He was somebody I was quite happy to see us sign. Um, I think he was. I think he's twenty-eight, and he's obviously fancying. I suppose one last crack at full-time football so he's got that experience of playing you know league one championship but he's also in theory should still have that hunger to prove himself as well and he's I think I think most fans would say he's been our worst signing so far I don't think you know he's one of these players but it's hard to put your finger on what he actually does well he came with a reputation of being somebody who would get stuck in would you know recycle the ball just do the simple things well and he doesn't even seem capable of doing that at the moment but you know he's you know he's one of the first names on the team sheet every week. We've got a guy on loan from I think Huddersfield Town, an Albanian guy called Krasniki, and he's looked fairly comfortable on the ball when he's played. But he's you know you know it's it's fleeting moments. The only time he's really had a prominent role in the team was when Hetherington got sent off at Airdrie. He was brought in just after half time, just to kind of control the game a bit more and looked good. And a lot of fans are wondering, you know, why is this guy not starting? Who are the along with Hetherington? Who are the other players that are kind of remaining in the first team most weeks, despite not really showing it on the park? I've been quite disappointed. Another signing that I was really liked on the face of it, Leo McCann. I've been really disappointed with him so far. He's he was kind of sold as this kind of up and down the line, good attacking fullback, and obviously with that, you you do get a bit of a trade off in defensive stability. He's not the tallest guy in the world, um, but he just seems to get done by this same kind of cross-field pass over the top every week. And it's just, you know, there doesn't seem to be any learning from those mistakes. We've not really seen, I've not seen a huge amount from him in an attacking sense either. But again, there's not there's not really anyone to take his place if he's not performing. Um, I've not seen a huge amount from McGuffey to suggest that he's you know, much better than what we've had in the past couple of seasons either. Um, and in an attacking sense, we've, you know, if Morrison doesn't play, we look one-dimensional. Sheeran's obviously been quite stubborn, not willing to play Dinkina, who should in theory be our best striker. Um, and the guys beyond that, you know, we've, we've signed the guy, I think, was released by Sheffield United called Omprion, and he is one of the worst footballers I've ever seen is first touch is awful it's you know and it's it's who do you put the blame on here you know is it Sheeran for okaying these guys is it Holt for you know the sporting director there's 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 a a lack of transparency there on how this you know how this team's been built yeah uh, that's kind of something that that's kind of I was going to query about was what's the are fans kind of happy with the setup? There's, there's, there's been a new. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure a new chief executive or chairman at least came in as well earlier this year. 
Uh, you've also got Holt in that kind of position that he took up uh, while Miller and McCracken were still in charge and then he took charge of the team towards the end of last season and uh, was somehow even worse <laughs> than the previous two. Uh, are fans kind of happy that they, they've got Holt in the, in the door and are what's the kind of what's the kind of um, current feelings around the new kind of uh, chief executive? Is it chief executive? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Jamie yeah. Swinney. He's he's come with quite a decent reputation from Stenhouse Muir. He's you know plenty of people at that club speak quite well of him. He's. I don't think we've really seen. I don't think there's been enough time to really judge what he's been doing. I think it will be more a longer term. What it looks like. The only thing I've really seen from him so far is, which wasn't a great look, was defending the fact that we are you know we've got volunteers running our social media rather than paying somebody. I don't think that's a particularly great look for somebody at the club to be defending that. Um, that's obviously a wider issue in Scottish football as well as who should be paid and who shouldn't. Um. In terms of Gary Holt, I think I think we're approaching a point where the majority of the fans just want him gone. Um, you've got fans who, who don't like the director of football model or certainly don't think that a club in League One needs a director of football. Um, and you've got fans, I, I would say I generally, in theory, I do quite like the director of football role, but I don't think Gary Holt's the man for that. I think his signings over the last you know two windows have been incredibly poor. I think... In my opinion, this is the worst squad we've assembled since we've been down here the three seasons. And it's the squad where we're, you know, we're paying a wage to direct the football. We're paying for the privilege of that squad. Because <laughs> um, I think in, fe- in theory, a good director of football can, you know, they can make their salary back multiple times over by, you know, saving you the bad picks and also maybe moving on a player every season or two for money as well. So I'm not against that model, but I think he's just, my mind's made up already. I don't want him to be overseeing team affairs, and I think the majority of the fan base is either there or heading that way as well. So, well, with Paul Sheeran himself, what was the kind of what was the fan reaction to him first coming through the door? I think it was probably quite underwhelming. Um, there's probably I think there's there's people who who were after a more experienced manager. Um, there were people who maybe looked at his time at Arbroath and thought, you know, was that that great a record? Um, I think early on he was starting to win people over, but we've seen some of his stubbornness coming through in recent weeks. You know, as I've said, not picking certain players, being wedded to the formation. He was actually, I saw online that he was involved in some, he was over at the South Stand after the game against East Fife or some sort of altercation with fans. I've, I've no idea what was said. But it's it's not particularly good look if your manager's over there, you know, I don't know, arguing with fans if you want to call it that. I don't I don't know what was said, but it's not a great look, is it? Uh, no, generally not. Generally, you should just kind of, especially kind of this early in the campaign. I know things aren't kind of going exactly according to plan, but uh, it's still only October. Usually, usually you kind of you maybe accept it from a manager when he's kind of like at the end, almost at the end of the road. And he's about to get kind of, you wonder whether he's about to get pushed soon anyway. Then you can maybe understand like the, the sniping back and forth, the pressure's getting a little too much. He's, he's only been on the job like three months. Like, and he's, like it's no kind of indication that he's about to get sacked. So yeah, that's not, that's not what you want to see. There's definitely, there's, there's definitely a, a sort of growing trend of people who do want him sacked. I'm probably not quite there myself yet. I think 
I think there's issues that go far higher than him. So you get rid of him and then you're still going to have the same people choosing his replacement. Um, perhaps I'd feel a bit differently if I'd been there on Saturday and seen that first half. And you'll see with my own eyes just how bad it was, but I'm kind of not quite in that camp just yet. But there's definitely a growing sense of we need somebody else. What was the expectations for this team coming into the season? And what uh, have they shifted at all, given results? I would have said, I think I think the expectation on a team like Falkirk in the, the third tier is always you should be putting together a squad that can win the league and should be winning it quite well. I know that might sound you know arrogant to fans of you know other teams in the division, but you should have an advantage in terms of budget. You should, you know, you're full-time. I appreciate there is a couple of other moneyed clubs in the division like Cove and Queen's Park, but that should be the expectation Looking at the squad as we went into the first game, I think we only had 17 players signed, which is an embarrassment, to be honest. Um, we obviously had, you know, the stuff of the COVID isolation that sort of that sort of papered over that a little bit, and that first Cove game became a bit of a free hit, and we actually played reasonably well and maybe had the chances to take three points in that. But uh, yeah, just underpreparedness, and I think I think people's expectations have been shifting since that point. To say, well, you know, why should we why should we be expecting to challenge for the title if our, you know, I personally don't think the squad's that much better than anyone in the division. I don't think it is. I don't even think we've got the best eleven in the division, maybe in some positions. I certainly still feel like we're lacking a goal scorer. Maybe, maybe what I said earlier about going with the two up front is the way to go, but I think the expectation on a full-time team in the third tier should always be that you put together a squad that should be comfortably better than your peers, and this just isn't. And what's what's going to be what what is our fourth consecutive season in the Scottish third tier? What would that mean for Falkirk? To be honest, I'm not I'm not as in the know in terms of our finances as some people and. That that's probably that probably speaks to a deeper issue that you know I'm I'm quite online. I follow you know Twitter, Pie and Bovril. I've not that in the know on our finances, and it seems a bit opaque at the moment. Uh, but we do have we did bring a, we did bring in an investor um, just about a year ago. Um, Phil and Carrie Rollins they put in somewhere between three and four hundred grand into the club for around about thirty percent stake. Um, there's an AGM next month and that'll be the first time they've actually managed to get across from America to, to meet the fans. There's been a few statements, but in general, it's all been a bit, you know, it's all been a bit mysterious. You know, they've put this money on, has it been spent? If so, where has it been spent? They obviously have, they must have some intention of taking Falkirk up a level or two. You know, you don't put that kind of money into a football club in Scotland you know, for, for the good of your heart, you know, if you, unless you have, you know, some prior connection to the club, which they don't. So, yeah, there, there should, there needs to be some sort of plan. And I'm hoping that does clarify it a bit. Um, a fourth season obviously wouldn't be good, but I, I have no idea. I'm not sure if it would be a case of us having to go part time. There certainly was. There was also an offer of a fans group putting in. Your fans group headed by local businessmen putting in about 600 grand, which was not backed by the club. So 
can things really be that bad if you can afford to knock back 600 grand? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, getting out of this division should definitely be the aim. Um, but I guess, yeah, I guess, I guess more will come out in a few weeks after this AGM. On a, on a personal level, how does it feel to be a supporter of, at this present time, probably Scottish football's biggest sleeping giant? If you could call if you could use the word giant, miniature giant. <laughs> I'm not even sure I would call us a sleeping giant, to be honest. It's, you know, we're, we're already a decade, we're already, a decade's already gone, been and gone since we were last in the top flight. So it's, it's just, I, I, it's obviously, you know, it's frustrating, it's disappointing. The, the thing is, the thing for me is that it feels like you, you maybe had it a bit of hearts last season as well. You feel like sort of standards have slipped and you see people going to the games and they're getting excited over players that just would have got nowhere near some of the teams that you watched when you were younger. Even, I mean, even go back 10 years, you know, would any of these players got in that sort of team? Not a chance. I think about players, you know, players I grew up watching, Crunchy and Latipi, guys that had that bit of magic. And now, you know, it's guys like, no disrespect to them, but it's guys like Callum Morris and Aidan Nisbet. They're the ones that are getting idolised now. It's just a bit, it's a bit, it's a bit depressing, to be honest, that that's the level we're at. But, you know, that is it. We, you know, we've, we've had a, a, a decade of managed decline. And what is, what would you say was kind of the main reason for that? Is it just kind of mismanagement at the board level? What, what exactly kind of is it? Because we did kind of, I remember we kind of debated before on whether the club was making the wrong decisions or just making decisions that kind of seemed like fine decisions at the time, but then it just didn't turn out for whatever reason, like, you know, bringing in Paul Hartley or bringing in Ray McKinnon, like managers that when, the, when those decisions were made didn't seem that bad, but ended up being disasters. So I think the common denominator is that we've had, you know, obviously coaches come and go, you know, chairmen and board members, they come and they do come and go as well. But the, the overarching sort of structure is, you know, it's there's people who are like main shareholders. So people like Sandy Alexander, um, a couple of others, I can't remember their names off the top of my head. They they for you know, since we've been relegated from the premiership, they've they've held about 80-90% of the shares. So they are the common denominator in this and it's just been a bit of malaise. As you say, you can pinpoint some decisions and say, well, was that the wrong decision at the time? Um, but they, they, are, they are the common denominator. So, And I think until they are gone, I don't think you're going to see any sort of, any sort of change. It's just going to keep repeating these cycles where you know, a manager, a manager underperforms, they get sacked, you bring in somebody else. If they underperform, they get sacked as well. And then you maybe look at, you know, the chairman that brought them in and say, well, you've made two appointments, you get sacked. And it's just that whole cycle over and over again. I think it's just the club needs some fresh ideas. I think we need, you know, we need a lot more fan input as well. Um, and But, you know, that 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 is just a void at the moment. That's probably the gap between the fans and the club at the moment is probably the biggest it's been in my lifetime. They're just there's just a massive sense of disillusionment. So do this squad and this manager, do they have what it takes to eventually lead you guys out of the third tier? I think first eleven is competitive enough. It's certainly good enough that it'll 
beat most teams on its day if you know if the right players are selected. The squad, I think, beyond the first eleven is pretty thin. I don't think there's a lot of options for changing games. I'm still I still look at maybe three or four teams in this division and think I would have your striker over ours. Um and that's you know I think that's something we saw we've seen a few times last season with Thistle did it you know two seasons ago when we were in the title race with Wraith as well a good striker can can make a difference we we were quite a poor team the first season we were down here but Declan McManus scored about I think 18 or 19 goals in those 29 games so I still look at that as something that would it would paper over the cracks, but it might just do enough to get you up. I'm still not sure we have that. Whereas somebody like Cove, Queen's Park, I'd probably even take James Keaton from Montrose. Um, yeah, that, that seems to be that's that's a big concern for me. So and no, how and I'm sorry, how annoying would it be if Cove Rangers won the title instead? <laughs> that's unthinkable isn't it um, <laughs> hardly celebrating a title win before we've managed to get out of this division yeah that is the nightmare scenario <laughs> so fair to say if it's not yourselves you're supporting Queen's Park for the title yeah <laughs> a Ray McKinnon was Queen's Park that's, that's <laughs> yeah. not as bad is it <laughs> no, exactly get rid of Ray McKinnon and then they get promoted again yeah yeah that's definitely that's definitely the lesser of the two evils for Falkirk right Colin thank you very much for joining me yeah, thanks for having me on, Craig. Hey, Bob. Cheers. Bye. And now I am joined by Murray Hughes to help me talk about all things Cowden Beef, the team currently propping up the SPFL at the bottom of the Cinch League Two. Hello, Murray. Hey, nice to speet to you, Craig. How's things? I'm all right. I'm all right. How are you? How's, uh, how's it been following your team? Uh, not just this season. How's it been following your team? In recent times? Uh, not great. Um, in Olin's, Olin's time, he's kind of steadied the ship, but Jesus, it's tough to watch. It's really, really tough to watch at times. We're so agricultural. We're just, uh, we're, we're not expansive. We don't we don't break lines. We're very rigid. Uh, you can argue that he's, he's done the job that, that's required for us, but particularly this season, oh God, it's just so turgid. Um, which, which I don't think should be the case. Um, I mean, I'll kind of elaborate on on what I think, where I think we should be. I've said to a few few pals that I, f- I genuinely believe that we've got a starting eleven that's m- maybe the fourth or third best in the in the division, which might sound pretty daft considering how guff we're doing. And um, but we've got some good players there and. We just seem to be completely underperforming. The squad's quite imbalanced as well, based on bowling signings. But yeah, it's, it's uh, it, it is really tough to. I've not been to many games. I've watched most of them. Um, oh God, it's just not enjoyable. Um, I'm sure you can tell by my by my voice. <laughs> it's a, does the majority of support kind of share your kind of feelings? Well, let me put it this way: Does the, does the support want? Bowling out, I, yes, but with probably out with without being too vocal about it, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think pretty much everybody, guys I've spoke to in the pub, etc., they'd all be quite happy for the club to just just part ways. Um, the, the, nobody really wants to see them sacked and a fallout, etc., because 
I mean, he's kept us in the division. Um, and, and prior prior to COVID, we were in the playoffs. Um, we, we were doing quite well. So he, I think some some people still think he he's got it in him to turn around. I think he probably does too. Um, but I just think the club needs to freshen up. He's one of the more longer serving managers in the in the overall SPFL. Um, and I just think it's the right time for for the clubs to go their, their separate ways, to be honest. Yeah, I was actually quite surprised by that when I had a look at these kind of these track record of management that this is the longest job he's ever had in management. In fact, I think uh, I was looking on transfer market, I'm pretty sure I said this is the only job he's had where he's had over 100 games in charge, uh, which I was a little bit surprised by. I didn't think his track record was that bad. He's obviously just been kind of very hit and miss at other clubs, whereas uh, kind of Cowden, he's been maybe a bit more consistent um, for some uh, Sounds like yourself. That consistency might not be necessarily a good thing, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he does. He has. Um, he has been there quite a while, and I suppose it's also the case as well. Well, as you've been saying, the football's been poor to watch, and you can forgive that, especially if you're a side in the playoffs. You can always forgive that. You can forgive it, considering the kind of the mess that Cowden were in when he first took charge of the team, um, and managed to keep them up, and then it's kind of improved on that since then, up until this campaign. But when results start to really go poor and you've got a style of football that nobody wants to watch, then that's when it really that's when it really becomes a problem. Yeah, absolutely. You're bang on there. Um, absolutely bang on. It's you're always worried about it's like any managerial change, you're worried about what might come in and you look at Aberdeen and it's um, obviously they were they're a lot more successful, um, even uh, respectively. Um in, in relative terms, but you see the mess that, well, not the mess, but the, the sort of downturn in results that they've had since changing manager. And you think, well, we can't really have much more of a downturn. So if we were to make a change and it didn't work out, then disaster looms. Although that's that's another thing that I think the younger generation of fan is more, is more okay with going out of the league. Like it doesn't scare me. It scares older fans in it all be the death of the club, the club will not survive, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's a lot of big clubs that are going to be in that league in a few years. There's going to be a lot of big attendances and the Lonely is going to be a good league in time. I'm not saying it isn't now, but it's going to be a really good league. So I'm hoping, obviously I don't want us to go out of the league, but it's it's going to happen. Like We're not going to stay in the SPFL forever. Uh, I think that's pretty much a fact. That's true of probably the majority of League Two clubs at the minute. Um, there's going to come a time where it will happen, and and um, it's, uh, removing that fear factor from particularly the older generation of fans is uh, <laughs> is something that, that I try and do. You try and have these conversations. Um, so while it does scare me to go out the league, it's 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 obviously scary. Um, there's stuff to look forward to in it as well. Yeah, because I mean, there's a number of. There's a novelty factor that always you always get when you just kind of drop out of the division and go on to, to grounds and facing opponents that you, you're not used to facing. There's something there's always something fun about that, isn't there? Totally, totally. Uh, but I suppose one of the one of the kind of fears as well, um, that regardless of whether you're older or younger generation, is that there is a bit of a bottleneck and there is a lot of Kind of clubs, especially in the Lone League. I don't know if it's quite as prevalent in the Highland League at the moment, especially since uh, Broda seem to have cut back and, and Cove are now obviously in the in the in the main leagues. But there seems to be a lot of kind of clubs 
like they're kind of been throwing money around. So obviously that's maybe a fear as well that if you're well, to be fair, you never actually know as well with the boundary cut off, you might end up like with certain teams, you might end up in the Highlands having to travel after the game. But, um, yeah, I know. So, so you know, like, there obviously is the, the aye, there's a threat that there's too much of a bottleneck and that you have to not only win the league, you then have to win a playoff as well. Yeah, no, that, that's also very true. I, I do think in time that bottleneck will gradually um, it'll gradually open up and it'll become more fluid going between the leagues. I, I think in, in 10, 15 years, the landscape of Scottish football will be very different. That's kind of probably not, not particularly relevant to what, what we're talking about today. So um, that, that's why, it, particularly in the short term, it, it's important to stay in the leagues. Um, and if you drop out in, in, say, 10 years, when you've got all the big West teams and all the big East of Scotland teams that are still not even some of the big East of Scotland teams that are still below the Lone League all wait their way up to that. It'll be a much more affluent place to to be for the club. Um, so that's why, yeah, in sort of the immediate short term, there's there's still a lot of a lot of university teams, etc. That that nobody's really that there's not they're not attracting big crowds. Um, with with great respect to these clubs, I'm not not dissing them. Um, they're just not your sort of compared to your your Talbots and and big clubs like that that will just um, bring a bring a lot to those those leagues. Yeah, it's kind of I suppose this university leagues is similar to like facing Celtic or Rangers B. It's just yeah, it just it doesn't have that kind of prestige that you want to be like facing a a club with history and tradition and somebody you've maybe played before, kind of in, in cup games or whatever, kind of. But yeah, it's not like nobody's nobody's excited for a game against Stirling University. <laughs> yeah, yeah, bang on. <laughs> um, is there um, is there also maybe a fear as well about like kind of going back to kind of bowling uh, is is there a kind of a worry of is there is there a kind of man out there that is ready to take over this team and and kind of and, and steer them up the towards the top end of the table or and there's kind of maybe a bit of hesitancy because bowling is kind of seemed like a, a safe pair of hands and unless the team really starts to look terrible in terms of being cut adrift because I think right now I'm thinking right in saying you're only bottom on goal difference yeah goal difference correct yeah, so is there is there maybe a, a bit of a feeling as well that kind of, you know, could this go even worse, for example? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why the board certainly won't do anything um, this season. They, they, they trust Poland, as you say, safe pair of hands. Uh, they're probably right. I think you, you, you will keep us safe, safe this season. If we, <laughs> if we finish ninth, that's fine with me at the minute. Um and going forward, you hear a lot of, lot of fans. Um, so Easton's been in the coaching staff for a while. And I think he was the one that everybody thought would take over at some point because he was quite highly regarded at the Rovers, at Wraith, um, the coaching there. And it was a bit of a surprise that he that he came to us. So I think he'd be the one. I'm always sceptical of appointing someone from the coaching staff of, of the existing of the existing manager because obviously something is not quite right there if the manager's going. Um, Tom, well, Tommy Craig syndrome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Christ, I. <laughs> totally. Um, I mean, we, we've done it before many a time and it's just, well, I mean, Danny, to be fair, Danny Lennon was a massive success and that was a that was a similar sort of thing. So I guess we've been a bit hypocritical um, to, to say that it wouldn't work. 
it might. That's probably the one that majority of fans would call for. Should it happen? Should Bolin go say tomorrow? Look, I'm not the man for this anymore. Uh, I'd be pretty sure that's the the direction we go down. But did you did you say that you reckon that the club are going to stick with Bolin all season? Is, is there a is think, there a break, is there a breaking so. is there a breaking point that would maybe get them to change their mind? I think we'd have to be pretty far adrift, which I don't think we will be. Uh, I, I just can't see it. I do think this is just purely my um, um, my interpretation. It's not based on anything. I do think he's got a good relationship. I think they do trust him. Um, so I just can't see him being removed. At the end of the season, there might be a part in the ways, but I just can't see it before then unless we really go on a bad run, which I think we're too good to to do, in all honesty. So you started the season looking not too bad. The, the Scottish Cup, uh, Scottish League Cup kind of group stages, um, competitive against Wraith Rovers in a 1-0 defeat, beat Aloha yeah. away for home, beat uh, yeah. Beacon, uh, competitive against Livingston, then even start off the season. Uh, beat 2-0 away to Kelty, but that's that's no disgrace at all. Um, and we, and we, were, we were actually very good that day. Buchanan missed a penalty at 1-0. Um, the, the first half, Kelty, Kelty were the better team by far, but we grew in then the second half. and I, I was so positive leaving that game because Kelty are by far the best team in the league, best squad. And um, As you say, the, the first few results, I was really positive, and I'm always very positive. My dad's kind of the opposite, and I'm like, chill out, we've got this, we're sorted, we're finishing top four. And then <laughs> here we are uh, a few games later, and <laughs> I'm not quite so positive. Yeah, so that wasn't even the end of the decent run because then the, the following game, the second game of the season, you beat Elgin City, then you beat Fraserburgh in the cup, uh, the Challenge Cup, and then got a draw at Stennis Weird, uh, but uh, had a man set off. So it's all looking no too bad. What's gone wrong since then? We're, we're kind of changing, well, we are changing formation. It's like we just don't know what, what to do because I mentioned earlier the squad's quite imbalanced. We've got good players, but a lot of good players in the same position, like Craig Thompson is, is a smashing player. Um, but so Fraser Mullins been a great right back for us for for quite a few years. You've got two of them. Like Thompson's kind of been playing left back or centre half. Um, we've got already got two left backs, so then they're both on the bench. And we've got three left midfielders. So it's just the squad's so imbalanced and it's like he's still trying to hunt for for what works best. And he's gone back to that rigid four four two that he that he likes with Buchanan and Renton up top and and just two workman like players out wide that aren't really going to give you too much going forward. And same with the two central midfielders, just guys that'll be neat and tidy without doing too much. So it's just going to be four four, get the ball forward to Rent and hope Buchanan feeds off the scraps. And I think that's what it's going to be for the rest of the season. But we, when we got beat it away Albion Rovers. We, we try to adopt a 3-5-2, which I thought would suit us, actually. But it sounds like, um, well, it, it was a shambles. Um, and we, we quickly reverted back to type and were better. So I, I think that is partly down to that. Um, just, just trying to make, whether he's trying to make us a bit more expansive, I don't know. Only only, only uh, Bolin will know. But the, the, that is, is what it seems to be down to, sort of, making changes to, to the system. And do you reckon that's the, the best system going forward, the four four two? 
I've, I've thought it would have been the three-five-two, if I'm honest, with with uh, Thompson playing playing in, in centre half, um, and giving us being able to play out through him because he's because he's so comfy on the ball, and then just kind of two cloggers and well not cloggers but stoppers and bar and and all the parts played on the ball, bar and Todd, um, in there too, but we just don't have anyone that breaks lines, so. When you're playing three central midfielders, they're all a bit samey. You're just just three guys that will get the ball, shift it five yards. They won't really go and carry the ball or do much with it. It just it just doesn't really work, which which surprised me. Um, and I think a large part of that's down to probably the loan signings we've taken in from the Rovers, the young lads. They've just not quite been ready for first team football it, it seems they've been okay here and there so they've been I think a bit of a disappointment probably for Boland as well that's why they've not seen as much game time as, as everybody would have hoped um, so, so yeah going forward it's going to be that that 4-4-2 for the rest of the season and that will, will keep us up <laughs> don't don't come back to me in May after I've said that <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about? What is it about? What's the quality in the squad? What what makes you reckon that that's there? That's going to to get Cowden off the bottom and at least safe for another season. Uh, Liam Buchanan and Chris Renton. I, I I do like both of them. Renton gets a bit of stick, but he works hard. He wins a lot. Buchanan will score goals um, at this level, and I, I do think it's down to them. And we do have a decent enough defence. So I, I think when you've got that at both ends. I mean, Christ, we've conceded the most in the league, I think, so it's, it's not showing it. But when you've got that at this level, you should have enough. It, it doesn't take a lot to be overly successful in League Two. Sometimes it can just be one player um, or or even as simple as players avoiding injury all season and other teams, key players getting injured. It, it really doesn't take much to swing the pendulum. I mean, you look at Annan who are absolutely flying and no one could have well I certainly didn't didn't foresee that um, so, so it's the it, it's the it's the quality within the starting 11 so touch wood no injuries to key players I, I do just think we'll be fine um, not much more than fine but we will be fine Okay Murray I think that's uh, all I've got to add in, unless uh, all I've got to ask unless there's anything else you want to, to add to this No, nah, I don't think so mate Yep, and that's it. We'll leave it there. Thank Sweet. you very much for right. joining me. Okay, no worries at all. Cheers. Gotcha. Cheers. That's it for Thursday's show. Hopefully, you enjoyed that format. If you did or if you didn't, please tell us on Twitter. Uh, that's usually the best way to find us uh, at Terrace Podcast. For those of you who don't follow us already, just when the show goes out, just leave us a. Just leave us a comment saying whether you kind of like this format, whether you'd like to see me do it again in the future to try and make up for the fact that, that Telford and Sean uh, won't be able to be here most of the time over the next, you know, eight or so weeks or, or whatever. And yeah, if, if you like it, then we can try it again in future. If not, uh, then they'll be kind of hard to do low league content, but we'll see what we can do. And we'll just kind of mix up. We're getting kind of regular shows with, with the guys in again. So yeah, please let me know. And if you'd like to hear more, then there is a Patreon as well to accompany this. It is a conversation I had with the Fairmont fan, Jake Ferguson, about everything that's going on at East End Park, especially topical after the board brought out that statement the other day, which fans really did not like. So, yeah, check that out. Patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. And 
for this week especially, as Scotland are playing Israel, I hope you enjoy your football. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.